We continue our reading today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Brothers and sisters, you are loved by God, and we know that God has chosen you. We know this because our good news did not come to you just in speech, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. You know as well as we do what kind of people we were when we were with you, which was for your sake. As you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, our visit with you was not a waste of time. On the contrary, we had the courage through God to speak God's good news in spite of a lot of opposition. Although we had already suffered and were publicly insulted in Philippi, as you know, our appeal is not based on false information, the wrong motives, or deception. Rather, we have been examined and approved by God to be trusted with the good news, and that's exactly how we speak. We are not trying to please people, but we are trying to please God, who continues to examine our hearts. As you know, we never used flattery, and God is our witness that we did not have greedy motives. We did not ask for special treatment from people, not from you or from others, although we could have thrown our weight around as Christ's apostles. Instead, we were gentle with you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but also our very lives, because we cared for you so much. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, Reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. So the story goes something like this. After Paul, Timothy, and Silas left Philippi, they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, but they didn't stay there. Then they arrived at Thessalonica, and like Pastor Ginny said last week, Thessalonica, a port city, was the Roman capital in the region of Macedonia at that time. The scriptures don't reveal much about the first century Jewish community in Thessalonica, but we do know from the book of Acts that there was a synagogue. According to Acts 17, over some weeks, Paul attended Sabbath gatherings in the synagogue in Thessalonica. And as was the custom, he gathered in attendance to read, pray, and to interpret the scriptures with the local people, teaching them concerning the message of the good news about Jesus. His life, teachings, death, and resurrection, and the welcome of God who grants salvation, inviting everyone to place their trust in the Lord. Some in the synagogue were persuaded by Paul's words, and not only those who were indigenous members of the Jewish community, but also some of the Greek-speaking participants, along with a few influential women in the community, perhaps local business owners, or even members of the Roman elite. This sounds like a positive 
development, perhaps, but it also created a problem for Paul and his companions. As also noted in chapter 17 of the book of Acts, some within the local population were suspicious of Paul, and they were fearful of the potential impact that the message of the gospel might have. Consider again what Luke records in his telling of what took place, that people representative of the various strands of society, multi-ethnic, multilingual, both rich and poor, some Roman and some not, of different backgrounds and cultural expressions, are all beginning to trust in the message that God is doing something new, forming a people, a church, who in Christ are bearing witness to the salvation of God, breaking down societal barriers and demonstrating through the Holy Spirit and in community with each other that the way things are is not the way that they have to be. The writer of Ephesians puts the message this way, saying, There was a time when you were strangers to the covenants of God's promise, and in this world you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who once were so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. And with his body, by the cross, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. When Christ came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. And as a result, we all have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Rather, you are all fellow citizens with God's people, and you all belong to the household of God. And as God's household, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The whole building is joined together in Christ, and it grows up into a temple that is dedicated to the Lord. Christ is building you into a place where God lives through the Spirit. What happens when those who are at enmity with each other, competing against each other, come to see one another not as enemies, but as friends and partners, and not just as human beings, but as recipients of the very same promises. To say the least, it changes things. Paul and his companions were staying in the house of a guy named Jason. Pretty soon, a crowd of people showed up surrounding Jason's house. But Paul wasn't there at that time. So they attacked Jason's house and brought him before the city officials. And they shouted, these people who've been disturbing the peace throughout the empire have also come here. What is more, Jason has welcomed them into his home. Every one of them does what is contrary to Caesar's decrees by naming someone else as king, Jesus This provoked the crowd and the city officials even more, and after Jason and the others posted bail, they released them. Later that same evening, the newly formed church at Thessalonica sent Paul and the others out of town. 
But because they did not stay long, Paul and his companions were a little worried about the people they left behind. What would become of their faith? Would they be safe to remain in the city? So Paul sent Timothy to visit the community and report back. And when Timothy returned, he found that the church was continuing to meet together. But they had some questions, and they needed encouraging. So Paul and the others wrote them the first of many letters. Today's reading is a continuation of last week's text. And it is clear from Paul's words that the local resistance to the message also continues. In fact, it seems that some in the city began spreading rumors about what Paul intended during his stay. Why was he really there? What was he after? Why did he leave suddenly? And what was he really hoping to achieve? Paul, having become aware of these accusations, takes care to try and articulate his own motivations. And in case you're wondering why Paul cares so much about the attacks on his character, it's because of the negative impact that it could potentially have on the faith of the people. If they discovered that Paul's motivations were insincere, they might very well call into question the legitimacy of the message that Paul proclaims, even if they had previously been convinced otherwise. The very same is true today in a society like our own, in which many have no interest in the church. Though to be sure, it is less less the character of the gospel that is in question, and more the integrity of those who claim to follow Jesus, but whose lives tell a different story. In the opening chapters of 1 Thessalonians, Paul links the genuine faith of the community with the sincerity of his own motivations to share the message of the gospel. And as we read also last week, Paul's words to the church are an attempt to express what he himself remembers during his visit and what he's heard about since, reliving the genuine faith that he experienced among the members of the community, a faith that, as Timothy reported during his second visit, continues to grow. Thus he writes to the people in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 1, Brothers and sisters, you are loved by God, and we know that God has chosen you. And we know this because of our good news did not come to you just in speech, but also with power and the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. As if to say, we didn't just come to you with words that you later accepted, Opinions, as if our message were nothing more than ideas and concepts. When we arrived, we saw with our own eyes the power of God at work in your life. And we experienced for ourselves the Holy Spirit in our time with you as the evidence of your faith. You know what kind of people we were when we were with you. Don't you remember all of those moments that we spent together in which you opened your hearts to us and we to you? And in that space, we were assured that this could not have been the result of our own efforts. God was present then, and God was present with you now, confirming your faith by the work of your hands by the words of your mouth, and by the actions of your life. Don't you see? Paul insists that the genuine faith of the community at Thessalonica is defense enough that he did not possess hidden intentions. 
Even so, one by one, Paul goes on to outline in chapter 2 the many reasons that he did not have so that he could later express precisely what his reasons were. As he declares, our visit with you was not a waste of time. It was and is still valuable to us. Just as our appeal was not based on false information, we did not have corrupt motives, nor did we appeal to you by means of deception, as if trying to take advantage of anyone. We did not people please or attempt to flatter you as a form of persuasion, and God is our witness that we did not arrive with a pretext for greed or profit-making. We did not ask for special treatment from you or from anyone else. On the contrary, we willingly suffered opposition and were treated shamefully, and all of this we overcame by the Holy Spirit who led our way to you. So why go through the trouble of naming all of these various reasons if Paul's whole purpose is that none of these reasons apply in his case? Maybe it's because, if we're honest, we know that all of these are reasons why decisions get made each and every day. You know, changing the facts a little here or there to make the truth sound more appealing, putting forth a smiling face so that no one will notice what we really feel on the inside, seeing relationships as opportunities to seek advantage, exert control, or make a buck, pursuing favors to try and win people over to our side, checking the boxes and boosting the stats and reducing a person's worth to numbers and figures, branding ourselves, amassing likes and pins and tweets, doing all that we can to gain influence and power that we then can use for our own ends, living from out of a framework of what's in it for me, a life that is absent of service and authenticity is far too easy, a life bereft of integrity and kindness is all too common. But Paul insists to the church at Thessalonica that his primary motivation was nothing more or less than the message itself to share the good news of God's love and grace and faithfulness as revealed in the person of Jesus. Paul says, we did not arrive on your doorstep for any other reason than because of the love of God. This was our sole incentive and inspiration to share with you what we have come to know and to experience and to trust and to do so not only with our words, but with all that we are, because God has given to us all that we have. And if we had it to do over again, surely we would, as Paul writes, we were gentle with you, like a nursing mother caring for her own children. We were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but also our very lives, because you have become to us beloved. 
as evidenced by his words, Paul recognizes that we all have it within us to willfully do wrong. We all make mistakes, after all. But we can also do the right things for the wrong reasons. And this, too, can be harmful, not only for the people around us, but also for ourselves. The difference is this. Paul also believes and trusts that by the promise of the Holy Spirit, we don't have to. We don't have to. Because we all have it within us by the grace of God to discern love's way among us. Not only to notice it, but also to respond. The power of love and nothing else is Paul's primary appeal. Love is its own motivation. And as Thomas Merton said, love is its own reward. And we know what love is and is capable of because of the love that we ourselves have received and that God has revealed to us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is this love that God's Spirit is confirming in our lives each and every day. Love that works deep on the inside, enabling us to let go of those former ways of speaking and living and relating that limit what God wants to do with our gifts and in our relationships and in our various commitments and responsibilities. Love, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to transform every part of who we are, reforming our motivations and setting us free to live the life that God desires. Much like Paul and his companions, along with the church at Thessalonica, we too have been entrusted with the message of the gospel, not to carry out our own purposes, but to allow the Holy Spirit to enact God's purposes in and through us. And what is more, God in Christ continues to examine our hearts, forming our character and fashioning a people of service and sincerity whose hearts and lives are a reflection of God's own whose motivations are rooted in the wonders of love and mercy and justice, whose lives are open to being molded into the likeness of Jesus, whose life together is an embodied and dynamic display of the life-giving redemption of the divine. When was the last time you listened to your own heart? What does it say when you do? God knows the pain that lingers there. God can see the joy of memories from long ago. God can hear the tension that you feel, the exhaustion and the anxiety and the fatigue. God can feel the aching in your body God experiences your hope for better days. God understands the hurt in your family and the feelings you can't seem to put into words. 
God can hold your life together, even when you feel like your future is falling apart. Because you are chosen by God. Chosen by God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God does not merely see for the sake of seeing or hear merely for the sake of listening, but for the sake of meeting us right where we are in our lives. And for the sake of healing and renewing and transforming not just our lives, but our neighborhoods and our city and all of creation with love. Oh, that love would guide the church in this hour as our reason for being, to show us the way and to open the door. Love is the reason. Love is the way. And love is the door. In Christ our Lord, world without end. Amen.